of something that someone said a few years ago, uh, because I've presented this approach before. It's not new, but I haven't made a talk out of it. I've uh, given it as a talk. I've spoken to individuals. Basically, if I could uh, put it in words, what he was saying was, look, uh, it's what I said to begin with. I work hard all year. I just want to get the simplest job, the one that's fastest. Uh, I just want to get some calm. I want to work through some of my stress, and I'm out of here. Uh, it's a very much a consumer approach to practice. I've paid my hard-earned shekels. I've put them down. What are you giving me a hard time with how great work is? I know it isn't, and I don't want to be re-educated. I just want to sit, and then let me go home. You know, I understand that. Uh, let me give you a somewhat different perspective. It's legitimate. The other thing is this person was relatively new to the Dharma, as most of us are. Some of us are really new. And so we don't have a certain way of looking at what, what could go on here or how what goes on here could go on here. Uh, I'm not saying this to chide you or to say this something uh, crass or coarse about uh, any of us. Uh, it's all very new. We're in some ways making it up as we go along. And yet there's an ancient tradition that uh, most, if not all, the teachers have gotten this from. We didn't make this up. Some of it we did, yeah. <laughs> I hope the essence is not made up by us, or we're in big trouble. <laughs> Think of it this way. A very different attitude. Supposing you viewed this place, when you come to, as a, a community. Uh, a community of practitioners, of which you're a part of. Now, granted, this is not a typical community because there's so much coming and going. So we throw together this Sangha for nine or ten days, whatever it is. Could we, for that period of time, granted the staff is here longer, could we behave towards each other, fully understanding what it is that we're attempting to do together so that your job is not seen just in individualistic terms uh, as something you want to... Uh, be done with so that you can get on with what's really important, but rather it's a way of serving the Sangha. It's a way of, uh, uh, when it's done correctly, uh, sincerely making an offering with a pure heart and a pure mind. Can you see the difference if you had that, that uh, particular approach uh, between that and when, if you've come, again, a legitimate perspective. And as you know, I, I hope, I th think this is true. We don't insist that any of you who come here be big Buddhists or take the five precepts or profess any of this uh, or love the Dharma. I don't think we do. Uh, personally, I don't. Because I think the only way that it can happen that's at all convincing to me is when it grows naturally. That is, if through your practice you begin to uh, see the fruit of this way of living, of living a life of awareness, and it comes out of your own experience, uh, on your own you're going to start, certain uh, surgings are going to begin inside of you. They're not ideologies. They're not 
beliefs that you subscribe to so you can fit in. And they're more trustworthy. The reason I feel strongly about it is that the first Buddhist situation I was in, I just wanted to learn how to meditate. I was a little bit like that person who was driving, you know, who just wants to come here and uh, get some sitting and find out how to do it and get a bit of calm and go home. Um, I walked, I was hardly in the door, I would say, and I liked the meditation practice and I was doing it, I would say within a few weeks, they had me in a robe, they had me chanting in Korean, they had me taking uh, precepts, they had me becoming bodhisattva, Uh, they gave gave me scrolls with my name in Chinese and Korean, Uh, I had a new name, and I didn't know what any of it was about. I just wanted to meditate, what are they doing with me here? Okay, if this is the dues you have to pay, I'll do it. I just want to learn how to... How to I do love this meditation stuff. So I, I put... It was... And I saw 50, 70, 100 people get processed through this. <laughs> Needless to say, most of the people are not doing this anymore. Uh, we just did it. I mean, so I don't have a whole lot of faith in that. I, what I have much more faith in is something that grows from the ground up out of our own experience. But we can help it along by making a few suggestions. There are other ways to look at what we're doing. So that if you have a frame of reference where you begin to, and you can't have this unless you have it, appreciate what is going on here deeply. Uh, When you enter into this, what is going on here is not just an atomized individual coming to this place to cop some good meditation and then to get out of here. It isn't. What it is, is all of us, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, it's the third jewel. For some reason, the community is considered very precious in this teaching. And even if it's a community that only lasts for nine days, the staff are here longer. But all of us are a community, and uh, do we need a guarantee that we're going to be together for life before we do anything kind for each other? Well, why should I do any of this stuff for them? Uh, we're all going to go split and they're going to go back to uh, Montana and Canada and never see them again. Do we need that? Is that uh, the frame of reference that we want to live by? I'm not accusing anyone. I'm talking in extremes. Uh, but picture this, because this comes from some of the things that people said in the groups these last few days and, and earlier. You know, there are um, great inequities in the jobs from one point of view. If you look at what the dishwashers do, my God. And then there are some jobs which seem to be just go into the library and dust off a volume there. And then you're, then you're, (laughs) (laughs) they're not dusty anyway. It's been done every day. Just dust off Majjama Nikaya. Everyone seems to think that's very important. And no one cares. No one's going to check. And then go take your walk and have a good time. Meanwhile, these other people sweat pouring down their brow. You know, you know the machine grinding on. It's, it's really hot. It's their karma. Okay, and, and, I've, uh, and I've talked to people, you know, about different sides of this. And so you get... Uh, you get the dishwasher who feels gypped. You know, I came here, I pay the same money, I'm a sincere yogi. Uh, 
why do I have to be there, you know, if it seems like an eternity while the other person is out, you know, being very summery, walking down the road in bright pastel colors, and I'm sweating, and I have to work with people, and we don't particularly get along, and, uh, and kind of grumpy about it, and, but putting up with it, you know, trying to make, be a good, good Joe about it, or Jane about it. Then you get the other one I've heard, this was a few years ago, incredible uh, feeling of I'm doing this for the Dharma, for IMS, you know, for the Sangha, uh, almost patronizing, you know, that is everyone else is uh, puttering around in the library, dusting things, and uh, I'm doing this incredible service for the Dharma. Uh, Somehow they're all a little bit off, you know. Uh, The intention means a lot. Uh, I don't think the job is as important as the way in which you approach it. But we can't mandate that. We can't put that on the instructions when you come here. That's something that you have to feel, that you understand that this time perhaps you, you dust in the library, the next time perhaps you're uh, in the kitchen, but uh, you feel part of an endeavor that's going on that you value. And so you don't get caught up in the comparing mind of, uh, basically, it's sort of a, a business mind, dollars and cents, and not wanting to be taken advantage of. And I'm, no, I'm not a jerk, and no one's going to take advantage of me. Um, how to grow into that attitude, which exists in a good monastery. And I don't think there are a huge number of them, in my own experience, but they do exist. And there isn't, people are cheerful. They work hard, they're cheerful, uh, they have attitudes of looking after each other. They get into trouble with one another, another as well, but there's just not a lot of energy wasted on comparing who's doing more than who and who's getting more out of it than who and all of that kind of stuff. Granted, we have a difficult situation in part because we're turning over all the time. If we lived here day in and day out, I mean all of us, not just the staff, Uh, Maybe what I'm saying would have a better chance of happening. But can we approach it a little bit? Or can we understand? And that can give a bit of meaning uh, to our work. But I'd like to make the canvas even larger. Perhaps many of us, and I have a hunch that many, if not most of us, do see it that way. When you do a job here, you do feel good about it. That if this were somewhere else, Let's say if you were washing dishes in McDonald's, uh, you would really uh, be distracted and grumpy, but here it's okay because it's for the Dharma. That's good, but I think there's even a bigger way of looking at it. Uh, this uh, example comes from something Karada reminded me of that um, happened a number of years ago. There was a waiter in Cambridge, and I ha- ate at his restaurant, and he was very distracted at times. You could see holding back a lot of grumpiness and even hostility. Uh, it's clear he was not having a good time waiting. And as things happened a, while, uh, a little while after that, he started to meditate. We got to know each other. And he made it very clear that he was really a writer, not a waiter. I said, okay, fine. And then I asked what I thought was a simple question. I said, how long have you been waiting table? And he said, 16 years. And I said, you're a waiter. (laughs) You're a waiter who likes to write. Uh, And you're behaving as when you're waiting, uh, you're really harming yourself. And 
Fortunately, this person was drawn to practice. And what was going on there, this, had, this person was nowhere near having an interest in, in Buddhism or anything of that sort, but he was interested in, in meditation and awareness. And he could understand that because his mind was divided, in his case, he saw waiting as being beneath him. I mean, this all came out. I'm giving you the summary of it. Beneath him, and he really was a writer, a talented and gifted writer, who had to do this menial task. And as a result, it turned up in the quality of his work and in the quality of his life, because he was spending many hours a day doing this work. Now, what came out of it was the ability to see that, that he was really hurting himself by living that way. The truth was uh, that whatever you encounter, the truth is, whatever you encounter is your life. I mean, this is it. Wherever we are, this is really happening. Those moments spent waiting table, that's really your life. It's not some, something in parenthesis. Or if it is, you better examine it because uh, it's, it's undercutting something very precious, namely aliveness. He improved on that, and then he went another step, which was quite wonderful. What he saw was, uh, is that people who come to eat, uh, often the, when you come out, let's say people meet in Cambridge for lunch, it's an important part of the day. It might be a break from work, it might be meeting a friend, it has a certain excitement, whatever it is. Uh, and if the waiter comes to that in the right frame of mind, there's nothing menial about it at all, because what you're doing is you're helping to enhance and facilitate the quality of life in that moment. If status gets in there, it's polluted, it's poisoned. Then you start resenting these people who seem to have enough money to be the customers while you don't have enough money to do that. You've got to wait on them and you get it before you know it, you get into a whole social class warfare and everything. He started to see that there was, he could rewrite or reinvent his job so that uh, this new definition made it a lot more pleasant and he could apply the practice of meditation. It was a total change for him. Uh, I give you this example because I sense that you know what I'm talking about. We all have it in, a, in our own way. And that's what I mean if you can learn some of that here in just even a small little job that maybe takes 10 minutes. What's important is the principle, the attitude of uh, uh, how precious life is. And so that whatever you're doing, it deserves the highest quality of attention, not because it's Buddha Dharma or it's IMS or it, this is even, or it's, it's an even bigger Sangha than IMS. It's like everyone. And you're the, you're the one who gets hurt most of all when you don't do it. There's a teaching in Jewish mysticism uh, which in the, the Hasids, I think, say that um, God assigns a little piece of the universe to each person. Uh, to take care of. Well, that person, that waiter, woke up to the fact that he may be a great writer, and someday I don't know what's happened. He may be, but right now, in the meantime, what he was doing was serving food to people who really uh, were eager to be served the food and to enjoy that, and he was taking care of that piece of the universe. And so there's no one left out, and there's nothing trivial. Uh, some people were defensive about their job. Not only the pot, the uh, dishwasher, but some people are saying, I have such a simple, easy job, I'm embarrassed. 
Okay, but if you do your simple, easy job with um, a good heart, with the right intention, uh, it's just as valuable. It's just as valuable. There is a story in the time of the Buddha of a child who donated just, I think it was a sand castle or something, to the Buddha. And just the purity of the child's heart, the child was reborn as King Ashoka, who was one of the great kings of a Buddhist king. Now, whether it's true or not, I don't know. <laughs> but you see what I'm getting at. Um, let me look at some of the... Some of what I got from the discussions were uh, reading between the lines and some people, by the way, people have, you've all been extremely open and uh, I've appreciated that. Uh, a compulsive drive to finish the job, to get out, and then as a result, uh, not hating the job, but just uh, this isn't as important as where I could be. And so compulsively working fast to finish it so you could get to something else. But in, in some cases, it wasn't even, uh, it didn't have to do with the quality of the job or your estimate of the job. This is how we live. We do everything this way. In other words, wherever we are, our eye is on something else that's better. You know the bumper stickers? I'd rather be golfing. I'd rather be playing tennis. I'd rather be swimming. No one wants to be where they are. <laughs> okay, so it's not just your yogi job. It's like a, uh, we're constantly lurching forward, hurrying through where we are to get to where, what is supposed to be better than where we are. Until we get to it, then it goes through the same fate. Or we hurry through that to get to the next thing. So if you can see that, that's not a way that's useful. Performance anxiety. Some of you, I guess that's the modern term for it. You really have had, some of you have been here for, come for years and you've found a job that you really have down. You just love it and you do it well. Suddenly you find this new job because of this crazy person who now has randomized everything. It's not random. It's, random would be if we took all the jobs made little things, put them in a fishbowl, mixed them up, and each person picked one. But you don't have control over it. And anyway, what it did is demolish certain plans that people had for how the retreat was going to be. And they wound up with a job which they didn't have confidence in. And fortunately, the two or three people like that I spoke to, they saw that they were because we're encouraged to work with what comes up, to make it part of the practice, they were able to, to some degree, work through that. And in my terms, you're a little bit more free. We tend to limit ourselves. Because of old wounds, we have notions about ourselves. So I'm a this, I'm a that. I'm not the kind of person who can do that. I'm the kind of person who can only do this. And we're stuck. We're frozen in them. Uh, when you start, if that comes up, and this is where, the, where life is our teacher, you find that you're going to a job that you don't think you like or that you've never done, and there's anxiety. Fine. Uh, that's not bad news. It depends on what you do with it. If you're willing to practice with it, then it's going to take you to a little bit more freedom. Then it was pointed out that I have a yogi job, but so does Karato. And I'll tell you a little bit about my yogi job. I mean, it's this. Two things. 
little things. I have to give, in my yogi job, the breath instructions over and over and over again. Do you know how many thousand times I've given the breath instructions in the last 20 years? This is a confessional. I can't count that high. Thousands of times. And some of it is word for word. And, and I have witnesses here, right? <laughs> and it's on tape. We can prove it. And most of the time, it's fresh for me, honestly and truly. Now and then, it's not. Now and then, I can hear, leather breath, flow naturally. <laughs> you know. And there's a flatness and a metallic quality to my voice. And that's like an alarm. I'm somewhere else. Uh, it's, the, the freshness isn't, it doesn't, it isn't um, an absolute prerequisite that we keep having to have novelty to stay fresh. That's a myth which we subject ourselves to. The freshness is in the mind. You can do something which is officially the same over and over and over again, and it's fresh, not because it's different, but because you're fresh. And that's what we're learning. Our practice is to be fresh. And when I hear it come out, and I'm not enjoying saying it, and I hear such a drone, and I can hear my Brooklyn accent and all of that, uh, it's like an alarm that goes off, and 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 it alerts me to the fact that I'm distracted, which invariably I am when it's that way, separated from what I'm doing. The words come out, they're probably helpful or relevant, or hope, let's hope so, but uh, I'm half dead doing it. And uh, my practice is to be alive. Another is my yogi job is we uh, talk and listen a lot. Now I'm talking, but we give a lot of interviews, and sometimes we listen to many people during the course of a day, uh, more than you can imagine. And uh, sometimes the echo of one person follows, is there when they leave and a new person comes in. And we really want to hear each person in as fresh way as we can. Uh, I use the breath to help me very much. That is, um, I don't use the breath all the time while I'm listening. But I turn to it as I need it. I may start off with it or it's intuitive now. I don't have a formula. But certainly... Uh, it's been an extraordinary, an extraordinary help in, in staying fresh. Maybe it's while one person walks out of the room and there's maybe 45 seconds before another person comes in and I'm with the breathing and I'm uh, back in the moment again or in, during the course of the interview. I'm really listening and it's sort of the breath is uh, like a good friend. It's sort of alongside of me, helping to keep me uh, alert. So these are just two hints from one yogi job, but you can see that they can be applied to whatever you're doing. Uh, The final, I'm sorry I used so much time, a fair number of uh, what people reported, uh, kind of the stuff that came up around the yogi job, had to do with interpersonal difficulties. Um, and either it was with a co-worker or somebody who kind of barged into your workspace and either uh, undid what you did or in some way let it be known that you're not doing it right or they nearly fell or something. You know, there's always something. 
Uh, and to the credit of the people who, some of them got angry, everyone was really, that I spoke to, more than willing to work with that. Uh, so what any job can do, of course, life can do it, but here we have a yogi job that's delimited and clear and simple, is it flushes out this ferocious attachment we have to ourselves. Me and mine, we call it in this work, where suddenly uh, you're larger than life and you have an image of yourself and suddenly it's, t- it's tarnished. Uh, you're insulted. You take something as an insult, which is, it's not necessarily intended. The point is, each job is just what it is. It's just stacking, chopping, carrying, sweeping, pushing buttons. It's just what it is. And on top of that, the mind spins out soap operas that are quite imaginative and often ones where we wind up suffering. So using work as practice, in Japanese Zen they call it samu, uh, is very rich. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to compare it with sitting and saying it's more important than sitting or it's less important than sitting. Why do we have to do that? When we sit, let's really sit. And when it's time to, to work, let's really work. Can we have a moment's silence, please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.